please turn to the seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And as this uh, Bible study from the book of Ecclesiastes winds on, we're going to go the, do the first 14 verses tonight of this seventh chapter. Now I, these, these Bible studies are kind of like your dog's tail. I can cut it off anywhere I want to, but I, I would kind of like to finish this if you can endure this sad. By the way, we, 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 we're, at a, we're at a turning point in this book. No longer is there this pessimism. Chapter 7 begins a movement, a walk toward hope. Some hope here. This is the record of a man who kept a journal a reflection of the midlife crisis in this man's life. He, he tasted life. He, he, he went after it with um, gusto. And he took life and tasted it. He took it in large gulps. And one day he vomited it out on the pages of his memoirs. And that's Ecclesiastes. And the first half of his memoirs are summed up, could be summed up in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2. Listen while I read it. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. Thus I hated all the fruit of my labor, for which I had labored under the sun, for I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Now here is his, his uh, summation of life. I worked and I, I, I labored and I experimented and I watched and I observed and I hated it, all of it, because it was empty and futile and flat. But now he's lost his youth. And he's come to a point in his life where um, he begins to see things. He's teachable. He sees things a little differently. And all of a sudden from chapter 7 there emerges a word that we have seldom seen before. And in the last chapters of this book we find it 34 times. It's the word wise. And he's found wisdom. And, and he's, he's learned something. And it's what he has come to as the result of all of his labor. He has, he has suddenly found wisdom, what it means to be wise. He's like the guy who said, I, I knew everything. When I was in high school, I knew it all. My, my father was so stupid. And he said, I went away to college, and four years I came back, and I found out, I was amazed at how much he had learned in those four years. And, and in, these four, in, these, in this quest, this man has suddenly found wisdom. Now, chapter 7, this passage, verses 1 through 14, looks like Proverbs, doesn't it? That's what it is. The reason it looks like it is because that's what it is. Now, I need to tell you something about Proverbs. I want to teach you something. Now, these scholars over here on my left, they got these notes down, they're ready. 
I want to teach you something about Proverbs. Proverbs, a proverb is a brief yet wise saying that helps us get a hold of life. A brief yet wise saying that helps us get a handle on life. It is a crisply stated principle for living. Now, now some of you can remember, you know, um, the almanac. And Ben Franklin had this almanac. And, and, and what, it, what it was in this almanac, uh, Franklin's almanac, what was it, what was it called? Poor Richard's almanac. Yeah. And, and, and here are these little proverbs. They were crisply stated principles for living, but they were all horizontal. And, and these crisply stated principles for living that, that the author of Ecclesiastes gives us are vertical as well as horizontal. Now, there are three different kinds of proverbs. First of all, there is a proverb of contrast. I want you to turn back to the Proverbs, to chapter 13 of Proverbs. It's the next book back. And I want to show you an example of the first kind of proverb, that is the proverb of contrast. Contrast. It's verse 7. There is one who pretends to be rich but has nothing. Another pretends to be poor but has great wealth. It is a, the, the, uh, the parable of contrast contrasts two opposites. And the key word, the, the word that's used most often, the common used word, is the word but. So when you read the Proverbs and you see that word but, you'll know that this is a proverb of contrast that contrasts two opposites. The second kind of proverb is found in the 14th chapter of Proverbs. It's called the completive proverb. C-O-M-P-L-E-T-I-V-E. The example of it is verse 13 of chapter 14. Even in laughter the heart may be in pain and the end of joy may be grief. And it completes the thought. One proverb completes the thought of another. And the most common used word is the word and. And there is a third kind of proverb. It's called the comparative proverbs. An example of it is fifth chapter 15, verses 16 and 17. Better is a little fear... With the fear, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where there is love than a fattened ox and hatred with it. And the most common used word of a comparative proverb is the word better. Now that's what we have in chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. We have comparative proverbs. And he uses the word better there. And what the author is saying is this, I have sought to find what is best in life. Now I may not know what is best. I have come to the conclusion, I may not know the best. But I have found in my search and quest for life, I have found that there are some things that are better than others. And those are the things I want to share with you. That's what he's saying. Now that's pretty important for us today who are busy folks and 
whose lives are crowded and we, 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 you know, we can't do everything, we can't go everywhere, and we can't have everything. And so we want to find, are there some things in life that are better than other things so that we can establish priorities? Now it's impossible to outline Proverbs. You just can't do that. And so we're not going to try, we're just going to see what he says in these Proverbs. Stay right with me now. The first one is found in verse 1. A good name is better than good ointment. Now if you want to substitute the word perfume or cologne or aftershave for the word ointment, you'll have it. Perfume or cologne or aftershave. A good name is better than Aramis or Dracar or obsession for men or Chanel number no. five. It's a good name is better than that. You know what he's saying? He's saying, and watch this. He's saying it's better to be somebody. It's better to be than it is to appear to be. It's better to be than just to appear to be. Now. Uh, I, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you know, you, you, you know sometimes you, you know, been, you've been working or you've been busy and you've gotten kind of sweaty you know, and dirty. And you, and, it's kind, and you have to keep an appointment. All of a sudden, you've got to be somewhere right away and, and you, you know you don't smell the best. And you don't have time to take a shower. So what do you do? You go in, you take off your shirt, and you just kind of you know, bathe yourself with, with Aramis, you know, and you rub all over, you know, and... And if you get a little perfume, you're going out, you know, and, and so you put all this perfume here. Uh, my son saw me putting on my Aramis the other day, and he said, takes a lot to cover that space, doesn't it? That's another problem. But, uh, so so you, you, you want to go out, and you want, you know, and, and you know that you don't smell the best, so you're going to cover that up. And you put on this ointment, you put on this perfume, and, 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 and you appear to be what you really aren't. And what he's talking about here is that, that it's better to be than just have the appearance of being. And he's talking about character, what you really are in essence. But that's what the name means. That's why we come in the name of God and we call on His name. We re that refers to who He is in essence and being. And what he's saying is this, it's vitally important. It's much better to be what you say you are than just to have the appearance. And he's talking about the difference between character and reputation. For reputation is what you seem to be. Character is what you really are. Now behind the perfume, what are you really? You see. The second, the second parable is found in, in the latter part of verse 1. And the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. I have a funeral from this. I won't preach it tonight. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. What a paradox. For we celebrate birthdays, not death days. And we rejoice and we celebrate when one is born. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes says, much better to celebrate his death. And that is only and can only be true when you see the outcome of it. 
And that's what Paul means in the first chapter of Philippians when he said, I'm in a strait between two things. I'm in, there's an old saying, I'm in a, between a rock and a hard place. And the rock is this, I have a desire to be with Christ. And the hard place is, I need to stay with you. You need me and I need you. And the reason why there is this tension is because Paul says, I know that to depart and be with Christ is far better. And when you consider the final outcome, the result of death is that you're in the presence of God forever. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now what does that say to us? It says that when you're establishing your priorities, you need to establish the the, the, the priorities of your life on the basis of what lies beyond this. And only when Christ is first in one's life is to die again. You see. Third parable, proverb, verse 2. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to heart. Now, I'm going to paraphrase that. He says, better to go to a funeral parlor than it is to gorge yourself at a feast. Oh, come on. No. A paraphrase of that would be, it's better to take a little stroll through the graveyard than through the carnival section. Who, on, who, who, you know, who believes that kind of stuff? That's great preacher talk. Now why is that true? Because wisdom is always best remembered. Let me tell you something. You will forget the jokes that are told you, but you never forget the truth that is told you. And you can take a little stroll through the graveyard tonight, and, and you know the kids can't relate to this, because, but, but we can. You can take a little, I can, I can take a little stroll through the graveyard in Monday, Texas, and I can look at those tombstones there, I don't, and, I, and all those people that I remember that were so vital to me in my childhood and the nurturing of my life, and I see their names there. I don't remember a single joke they told me, but I remember the things about life they taught me. I remember that. And I remember working with this guy who always had some jokes. Most of them were dirty. I don't remember those jokes. But I remember one critical night in the, after work, he set me down. And I've been involved in some, some wrong things as a growing up teenager. And he set me down. I'll never forget what he taught, taught me that night. It's amazing the perspective we get when we, come, when we see life from the end back, you see. From the graveyard back, there's a true story that comes out of the Titanic of a, of a woman, true story, who was, who was about ready to get into the, to the little lifeboat and she had a, had a place there and they were getting her ready and she said, can I, go back to my, can I go back to my room just for a moment? They said, well, you'll have to hurry. You better hurry. So she ran. She went through the casino on the way back to her room. All that money piled up there. And in her state, in her room, there were her jewels and her, and her, and her money and her purse, all that stuff lying there. She went right past that. And on the shelf were two oranges. She got those and ran back and got in the lifeboat. For when it comes down to death, 
when it comes down to death. Jokes and fun and celebrations are not very appropriate. When you get a terminal illness, and God forbid that any of you should, it is amazing how we spend our time. It is amazing what we start reading and where, with whom we spend our time and what we do with our life. Jokes don't seem important then, you see. Proverb number 4 is found in verse 5. It is better, listen up kids, it's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the, to the song of a fool. Somehow it just flashed in my mind right then, you know. It's better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than M- MTV. Excuse me, you know, don't throw stuff at me. Who are our heroes, you see? We don't listen too well to the rebuke of a wise man. We don't listen too well. And sometimes that rebuke comes from a boss, and sometimes that rebuke comes from a parent. And sometimes that rebuke comes from a coach or a teacher. Young people, listen carefully. You better listen to the rebuke of a wise man. It's better than the song of a fool. John Ehrlichman will testify to that. He's got a marvelous book on the experiences with Nixon and his jail term. He says in this book, quote, Here I was a felon shorn and shunned, doing work with a pick and shovel in the desert. Remembering all the years I had to, I've swept all my faults under the rug, and I came to the stark reality that I had failed. My marriage had failed, and I had failed. And after 18 months in prison, he was released to, and, he, and he went to, New, to, to, to uh, Oregon and, and, and lived on, in isolation on the coast. He spent his time walking up and down the beach, reading his Bible, sitting on the, in the, on the beach, thinking. And he said, most of the time I was trying to find answers and I had none. I didn't even have the questions. I was wiped out, nothing left, credibility, honor, respectability gone, as well as my family. He moved to Santa Fe, married, and then something began to happen. He said, I began to see myself, and I began to understand that the only thing to really care about is one's integrity, and I remembered the rebuke of people that I rejected and resisted. You better listen to the rebuke of a wise man. Sometimes it comes in, with, uh, uh, this rebuke comes in the form of a pastor's rebuke or a counselor or a physician. And sometimes their rebuke comes across as uncaring and as, as abrasive and volatile. And sometimes you want to lash back and resist that. It's better than the song of a fool. And that rebuke, that wisdom that comes with the rebuke of a wise man, never comes easy. And sometimes it costs brokenness. Proverb number five is found in verse eight. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. 
the reason why that's true is, is, is this, that at the end, it's all reality. Before you get to the end, some of it's just visionary and, and uh, illusionary. That's why we say to our kids, little favorite cliche, well, when you have kids, you'll, you'll understand. I tell you, you know, isn't it a shame that, that you, real, you, you, you discover how to be a parent after you've already had your kids and they're already gone? And isn't it a shame that we all, that, you know, hindsight is 20, isn't it a shame that, that able to transfer to the end and look back? And the mature person, and I know this is difficult, the mature person, for us as young people, it's difficult for us to be able to, to go to the end and look back on it. Because it seems like light years away. Don't you know Roy Tarpley? You don't know who he is. He's a star player for the Mavericks who's got strike two against him because of his use with cocaine and probably will never play in the NBA again. This man had it made. You, remember, you know Lynn Bias? You think these guys, wouldn't, would, wouldn't, they give, wouldn't they give everything to be able to see the end and, 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 and as from, from here could, could, could transfer over there and see it from the end because everything is reality there. It'll never happen to me. And wise and mature is the person who can transfer himself to understand and to see that the choices I make are going to cause this effect and you're able to see that from the end. You understand what I'm talking about? Oh, you don't. Okay, well, I'm going to move on anyway. Verse 8. Proverbs 6 is found in verse 8, last part. The patience, patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. And while I was looking through this tonight, I just changed my notes and I, because something leaped out of that. The opposite of patience is arrogancy and haughtiness. All right, he gives a couple of commands. I'm going to hurry through this. He gives a couple of commands. The first command, direct command, is found in verse 9. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry. For anger is bet resides in the bosom of fools. Don't boast tonight. Don't brag about the fact that you have a short temper. Control your anger. Control your temper. It's better not to have that kind of that kind of temper. Second command is found in verse ten. I want to spend a little time here. Do not say, "Why is it that the former days were better than these?" For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Well, the command is this, don't hang on to the past. Whoever said that, you know, that the good old days were better than these? Don't hang on to the past. Here's the principle, write it down. You can't live in the present until you let go of the past. Can't do it. There is nothing, no day that is more that is more wonderful, that is better than this day. So quit talking about how it used to be in the past. Let go of the past and quit clinging to all those problems and all of those things that, you know, when you got slam dunked back there one day. Now, there's a question. 
Why should we come to this wisdom and what is so great about it? What's so great about it? You understand that wisdom is the ability to know what you know and know that you know what you know. And wisdom is the ability to see life from a perspective that's not under the sun. That is, to see life from a perspective that comes from God. That's wisdom. And wisdom is to be able to to know what you know and to live out what you know and to make right choices. That's wisdom. And what's so great about it? Well, he says there are two things about it that make it great. The first is found in verses 11 through 12, and this is what it says. I won't take time to read it. Because it's great because wisdom preserves our life from human pitfalls. Wisdom preserves our life from human pitfalls. I'll tell you, we make stupid choices, don't we? And, 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 the, and the pitfalls we fall into are the result of these dumb choices we make. Wisdom. Getting God's perspective on life preserves you from that. I'm going to show you something in just a minute that ties to that. So you file that away just for a second. Second, the reason why it's so good, verse 13 through 14. It gives us a divine perspective. Look at verse 13 and 14. I want to read those. Consider the work of God. For who is able to straighten out what He has bent? Now I want you to understand what He's saying here. If it's bent, it's because He bent it. You see. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. And this is what he's saying. He's saying when you get a perspective on life from God, you'll understand that that whatever's happened in this life is because God caused it or permitted it. And you're probably not going to change it. Now if this counselor by the name of Solomon walked in here and gave counsel, he would say two things. Would you write these down? Then we're through. He would say this. He would say we dare not make a major major decision without asking for wisdom from God. We dare not make a major decision without asking for wisdom from God. James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it liberally without making you feel dumb. Ted will paraphrase. How many decisions do you make without asking wisdom from God? before you make them. It might be a good idea for you just to file this way and kind of put it somewhere where you can just look at it occasionally. Before you make a decision, ask yourself, what would God say about that? And if He were a counselor, The second thing, if the counselor were here, this is what he'd say. We can't see the whole picture. 
without drawing on the wisdom of God. You can't see the whole picture without drawing on the wisdom of God. Because perspective is to be able to get above and see the whole thing. And you can't do that unless God gets you to that point. And wonderful it is. Um, when you find young people, you know, and I, I'll not call names, but there's some right in this place right here tonight, who all the years that I have known them have just made the right choices. They just make the right choices. And they remain just as solid and as true and just straight and they're pure and they're godly and they're good and they just make the right choices and they don't make those choices like they make them because they you know because they're any smarter than the rest of us or have better resources than the rest of us they are they they've made those right choices all of their lives because they have been able to somehow get a handle on this matter of finding God's wisdom and will. It's beautiful. And I've made so many mistakes. I made a bunch when I was young that I'll never be able to go back and undo. And I still make them less now perhaps than then. Because I've, I've, I've found out that we're, I found that word wise. But I never have made a mistake where I have sought God's wisdom before I did it. You just won't. Now, when you go to looking at life, there's some things that are better than other things. And these are the better. Let's pray together. Father, we're so excited about the relevancy of Scripture and how it touches the day in which you, we live, how it speaks to us. On Sunday night, January 1989, and we thank you that we are not without guidance. We thank you that we're not without light and help. Lord, teach us to know in reality in our heart that it's best to really be rather than just appear to be. And guide us to make those choices tonight that, that we would make if we could get to the end and look back. And help us to make decisions tonight that would glorify you and be best for us. For I pray in Jesus' name. Now I wonder tonight, there might be somebody who needs to make a public decision, public response of some sort. And ever, and, you know, I'm always amazed, you know, people that you, you, never, you never think, well, they, you know, they, they just come. Maybe God wants you to come tonight, make a decision.
either join the church or confess your faith in Christ or rededicate your life. Maybe you need to, re to publicly repent of sin because you've publicly committed it. For whatever reason God might lead you, we're not going to stay long, but we invite you to come while we sing. Come on.